Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. If you're looking for success, it's in the details. Small hinges move big doors. And now your host, Karen Allen. Hello, friend, and welcome to In the Details, the show where we uncover the incredible stories that make people who they are. I'm your host, Karen Allen, and today we're diving into the world of resilience, personal growth, and a roller coaster journey that'll leave you feeling inspired. My guest is Jason Shen. He's a former national champion gymnast, a resilience expert, and an executive coach. But let's also throw in there that he's a three-time founder, (laughs) and he snagged a couple of Guinness World Records along the way. Oh, and one more thing. Yeah, he's the author of a new book, The Path to Pivot. I know, Jason's got a lot going on. But most importantly, he has a passion for resilience. So you're in for a treat because he has wisdom to share that is versatile and valuable. So whether you're navigating your own storm or looking to level up your life, or maybe you're just looking for a little inspiration, this episode is for you. Jason Shen is in the house and he's about to drop some gems. So let's get into the details. Jason, welcome. It's so nice to have you here. Karen, it's so great to be here and, you know, really happy to be talking to a fellow athlete. Uh, (laughs) That's that's a real treat. I was telling you before that I feel like, you know, honestly, athletes, they get it right when you're talking about even I'm not saying like even professional athletes, but some of my best coaching clients, they played sports growing up and they love a good game plan. So I think we're going to have a a lot to offer the audience today. And before we get into all of that goodness, we got to start at the beginning because I love a unique story and everybody has a unique story. So I could, I feel like I could listen to people's personal journeys all day long and I'd love to hear yours and then we can go deeper. But first, guide us through some of the, we'll say, key moments that have brought you to where you are today and the work that you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm a I'm an immigrant. I was born in China and moved to the United States at the age of three. Uh, so my parents really brought me over. And, you know, we were looking for a better life and looking for new opportunities. And the United States gave uh, my, my dad the opportunity to study here and then work and my mom was a gymnastics coach. So my dad was in education, my mom was in coaching. So you could say this kind of stuff runs in my blood, uh, writing, you know, and and developing people. But I was a very active kid that had ADHD. I was really bouncing off the walls. My like kindergarten teacher was like writing these very long concerned reports about how I can control my behavior. And they want, she, she wanted to put me in like a special needs class. And Luckily for me, you know, my dad kind of caught wind of this and he wrote back trying to explain the situation and kind of like providing context. And, you know, we worked on my behavior and I started doing gymnastics and there were some things that in by the end, you know, like my my kindergarten teacher kind of turned around on me and, and got excited about me. So, you know, just from an early age, realizing that maybe my brain works a little bit differently than other people. And 
And even now I'm still sort of like confronting what that means. And like, is this normal for me? Is this hard for everybody? Or like, this is easy for me, but it's not easy for other people and, and sort of feeling an ownership around that. So that started at a very young age. I love how your parents were just like right in your corner and they were like, there's no problem. We just need to redirect the energy. That's amazing. That was, uh, you know, not everyone has the opportunity to have parents who sort of recognize that. So, you know, the importance of parents at parenting as leadership. I mean, like anyone who's mm. a parent and you know this, I'm not a parent yet myself, but, you know, it's coming in the next year or two, that leadership journey that that you go on just to be a parent. Mm -hmm. Um and so, so gymnastics was a huge part of my my upbringing and experience, and I ended up having the opportunity to study at Stanford University uh, with a scholarship through athletics to to compete for them. I studied biology, and that really exposed me to Silicon Valley. So to talk about like another turning point, I always liked technology. I had like a computer, you know, and uh, internet back when it was dial up, and you know, getting on the like the faster dial up speeds yes. back when that was the thing, all of those things. So I I loved computers and I loved technology and I loved the internet uh, in its early days, but I didn't know how to get involved. And coming to the Bay Area, it was just so eye opening to see all these companies getting started and 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 new businesses being created that were like we don't have to do follow the rules, we can go and do our own thing. And that's always been a part of my ethos and just loving that because mm -hmm. rules feel constraining to me, right? And and so I got to compete at Stanford. We we won a national championship. I learned a lot about how to work together as a team because gymnastics is actually a very individual sport. Before college, I had a team, I had teammates, but they're almost like my competitors that we all just like trained in the same facility. Mm -hmm. You know, and you had a coach who's trying to like play fair with everybody and and i did have an amazing coach who who helped me get very good but we never developed as a team it was only in college when you really are training competing as a team that you kind of like develop that idea of like we're all working together for a shared victory and you know that transition from individual achiever to to leader is about finding the shared victory and not just saying the glory is for me i'm here to to win for me but i'm here to win for us and we're all here to win for each other that shared victory i love that little terminology yes yes yeah yeah so so that was a turning point and then you know i i spent 14 years in the tech industry working at startups starting my own companies doing marketing doing product management did you go there straight out of college yeah so right at, right out of college I was working at an, you know, an ad tech startup and then living with two other roommates who were also working at startups. And then we decided to start our own company together. Of course, um, that's how all the stories start. I goes, love it. Right? <laughs> we're so like, this brain power is here. <laughs> it's, it was like straight out of, you know, a TV show. And we started our own company. We went through Y Combinator, which is, you know, one of the, the top accelerator programs. And honestly, though, that business was a failure. That business, we spent two years working on it. It was long distance ride sharing, which the company prior to Lyft becoming Lyft was also doing. And then they pivoted and they changed to go into this intra-city ride sharing, competing with Uber and, you know, still kind of a number two to Uber, but a, a very large and successful company. We did not make that shift. We realized similarly that the market wasn't big enough to do what we were doing with long distance but we didn't feel like we could pursue and then we tried to look at some other things then we got kind of like gun shy and scared to try again because we we're like well we were wrong the first time like 
what if I'm wrong again? And so we spent six months just kind of like spinning our wheels. And I ended up being the first person to be like, I can't do this anymore. And taking a, a sort of fellowship that kind of came sprung into my lap and going to DC. And then the company kind of folded shortly after. And we gave money back to investors, which on one hand sounds like, okay, like an honorable thing to do. But I think for a lot of investors, they're like, no, this is like the worst thing you could do to us is to give the money back. We gave you the money to try to turn into it a lot more money. And it's not helpful for us to get 50 cents on the dollar. We're trying to get a hundred bucks on the dollar, you know, or, or nothing. We've already prepared for that outcome for nothing, you know, but to give half is like, you kind of quit. And that really kind of like haunted me for a number of years before coming. And I worked at a couple other companies kind of rebuild, gain some skills, rebuild my confidence. And then eventually uh, took the leap to start another company this time in hiring and we talked about that, like being unconventional, being different. Mm -hmm. The hiring business was all about like getting people to do the work of the job before, uh, instead of just doing like an interview, you know, and mm -hmm. you've probably seen this happen in, in the way we evaluate people of the last 10 years has really changed. Like my younger sister, she has to give, she's applying for a project manager job. And we were on the phone. She's like, I have to give a whole presentation about this thing. And they, they said, these are the points I need to hit. I'm like, this is great because if you can't do this, you probably shouldn't do the job, you know? Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. But not everybody, you know, not every job, even today, does that. And we were trying to build software to make that easier and to do that asynchronously because you also have to take time off work often to kind of like do these things real time. So, you know, if you're a software engineer, could you write a piece of code uh, for a specific problem that makes sense and is is like on your own time? So we built software to do that. We were iterating on that. And at some point we hit a wall and we said, you know what, this isn't a software business. This is like an agency. What people really want is just give me a good candidate. And if you have process, cool, whatever, but we just want the person. And then we're going to probably run our own process anyway. And I was at that point, we were like, we're not going to really change anything by building this. And so then we tried to pivot. And I was scared because the last time we tried to pivot and the company imploded, but we, we pulled it together. We gave ourselves a deadline of one week because we had an employee who was in the office, who was on a conference in Europe. And we were like, this is back when everyone's still in the office and you're like, we can't just run around having surreptitious meetings without this person. So she's gone. Let's, let's figure it out. And we spent a, 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 a tight week, just like coming up with a ton of different ideas quickly, you know, eliminating ones that didn't make sense and came up with a whole new idea around building AI tools for, for gamers and esports teams, completely different, but very rooted in our own passions, raised new money for that, got new investors, built a new product, got new customers, and ultimately had an exit to Facebook uh, in 2020. It was, you know, a modest outcome, but, you know, still one that I'm proud of, still one that we're happy to take. Um, you know, you take the wins when you can. And after three years at Facebook, this is the largest company I'd worked at. I'd never really done the big tech thing. I'd done, you know, medium-sized startups and, you know, young technology companies for the most part. I got to see what it's like inside the, the machine, you know, inside the beast. And I learned a ton. And of course I realized, you know what, they're looking for a certain kind of person. And there were things that I was doing, I'm doing all this work around resilience and, you know, the people inside the company and inside many companies are feeling the pinch, right? With the layoffs, with the remote work, with the 
you know, we got to be more efficient and do more with less and all these things. And I was doing all this training and people were loving that. And my managers were saying like, this is great. This is amazing. But, you know, you're doing uh, like over here and you're doing like just, you know, you're doing good work over here, but we're not going to average it out. We're going to kind of mostly take this and kind of give you the the kind of like uh, promotion or the recognition based on this, even though you're doing so great over here, this isn't like your main job. And at that point, I kind of realized, you know what, this isn't, this is a sign that I need to step back into the driver's seat, back into the sort of entrepreneur seat, which I've been in so many times. And now here I am with you talking to you about all of this stuff. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> I think that that is definitely a roller coaster. <laughs> and it's because I was reading it. And as I was reading, you know, your bio and doing research and hearing you talk, I'm like, if there's one thing for sure that I've learned about Jason before having a conversation with you, it's that you are not afraid to jump into an uncertain situation. Oh. And, and I, th well, am I wrong? I'm probably no. wrong. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, 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 okay. no, no, no. And I'm saying, I'm saying, no, I'm sorry. I'm saying like, no, I'm not right. Yes. Like, yes. I agree. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, and that's something that a lot of people can get stuck in, you know, because we desire comfort and because we desire comfort, we try to control so many different variables in you know any given situation. And it's all with this, this idea that if I can just keep things smooth, and calm and certain, then I'll be okay. But the reality is, and I've learned this in my own life, is that in that uncertainty, you're actually growing so, so much because you're learning new things about not just what you're exposed to, but even yourself. And so I'm, I am curious though, of all the different experiences that you've had, and I am talking about from that early startup scene, certainly the, the changes that you went through personally. And then again, we're not going to leave out the fact that you were doing marathons and Guinness World Records and all of those other life experiences. What do you feel like really shaped your perspective of resilience? Like which one of these experiences or a few of them it really shaped that perspective the most? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think that the the going back to sports, right? Like there's just so many lessons from sports. I, you know, I, I wish I could say it was some, you know, turning, you know, specific talk or book or, or something like that. But it is those, you know, I did gymnastics for 16 years, you know, and, and 10 of those at a very competitive high level. And you just can't help but, but gain some of these experiences. You know, one story that I'll share that I've been reflecting on lately was this skill that I did on the parallel bars. It was called the Morsui. You would swing through the bars. You would kind of tuck your, your ball, body up and then land on your upper arms. So you do like one and a half flips and then land on your upper arms. So if you landed a little bit crooked, you would like catch your armpit and it was very painful. Or if you were short, you were, you know, if you landed short, you would land on the back of your shoulders and that was painful. So it was, a, it was a risky move, but it was, it was very like acrobatic, it was very exciting, you know, and I was very proud to, to do this move. And I remember being at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs, it's like this massive facility. And I was on the US Junior National Team, it was very exciting. Me and my coach were there and everybody's, everybody's doing their stuff and everybody's training and you're, you're with the best of the best. And you're kind of like trying to show off to a little bit, right? Because, you know, you want everyone, you want the national team coordinators to see you and be like, hey, this guy, you know, 
we got to cultivate Keep an eye on him. More yeah. him. <laughs> and so at one point, my I was doing my Marsui and my coach, I thought he told me to do it piked, which means to not just bend your legs, but to strain your legs, still pull your legs close to you, but it extends the rotation. It makes it harder to go as fast. You got to really swing bigger into it to do it. And I was like, oh, he wants me to go up. He thinks I'm ready. Okay, coach, like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it piked. And so I get up, I chalk up. I'm like, all right, everyone's here we go. You know, and I swing and I go for the piked. And I'm I'm not even close. I like crash on the bars. Like, you know, I like fall down. It makes a loud noise. Everyone looks over like, what are these guys doing? Uh, my coach comes over at me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. And then he's like, what are you doing? You know, he's like, yeah, make sure I was okay. And then he's like, I'm gonna lay into you. And he's like a five foot nothing Armenian guy, you know, Levon Karakanyan, you know, and he, but he was the scariest dude I knew. You know, I was like, I towered over him, but he was like, What are you doing? I was like, I thought you said to do it biked. And he said, I said to do it perfect, you know. Oh. Maybe there was like a little bit I I misheard and I should have double checked and you know, some 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 communication error there. So one. You know, as a leader, right? Like communication is so key. Mm -hmm. uh, but but now I'm like, now what? I it hurts. Someone goes and gets ice for me. I'm icing. And I'm like, oh, it hurts. I kind of want to like be done. And he's like, are you are you hurt? Are you injured? I was like, no, no, I'm not in. You know, and you know, as an athlete, there's a difference between like, oh, it hurt real bad, yes. versus like sometimes it doesn't even hurt that bad. But you're like, no, something's wrong. Like, Some, right, it, right. You know, and so it was one of those like it hurt real bad, but I'm not injured kind of mm -hmm. like my ego is bruised a lot more than maybe this arm. <laughs> yeah. And so so he's like, I want you to do one more. And I was like, really? One more. He's like, do it tucked. Do it good. You're not going to finish on this bad Ooh. piked one. And I was like, OK, fine. You know, and I chalked <laughs> up and I and I did it again. And, you know. It was a risk for everyone. It was a risk for me because what if I, you know, so, you know, the first time I went for the double pipe, I was like, just, you know, it's that bravado. You're like, yeah, I got this and everything feels good. And then once you crash, you're like, oh, that hurt a lot, you yeah. know, and then you then you're like, well, what if I crash again? Then that would, hurt. you know, now you know how bad it is right but i didn't want to let my coach down and my coach you know he's kind of like i've got this at he's trying to demonstrate his ability right he wants to be recognized and he's got this athlete here and this athlete's kind of like doing weird stuff which of course you know as a leader you have to own what your what your team does so he's kind of looking a little bad like what what you guys can't communicate what's wrong with you you know so he's taking this risk but he he knew that if i if i walked away now I might get a whole mental block, you know, and you come back the next day and you get scared and, you know, athletics and, and anything it's, it's often in your head, right? Your mindset. So he said, we're going to make you do it again. So I got up, I did it again. It was great. It was fine. But the lesson for me was that even when you are afraid and especially when you are down, you gotta get back up quick and get a win. Even if it's yeah. not the same thing, I didn't go back and do the pike. In fact, I never competed the pike, but it helped me understand I could take the pain. I could get back up. I could do it again. And, you know, I had a successful career, you know, and I learned other skills and it was fine. Yes. <laughs> but in that moment, right, that's 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 courage. That's resilience is getting back up even when you are hurt, even when you know how much it can hurt mm -hmm. and keep going. 
And that theme continued in your life because as you mentioned, that first, you know, you were Uber before Uber was Uber, right? You had this idea before Uber and Lyft and it didn't work out, but you decided to try again later. Then you try again later. It's not working out. You're like, okay, well, let's figure this out one more time. I mean, the way that you have taken that small lesson early on and applied it to the rest of your life and now teaching other individuals and and teams it's so powerful because you're right we're going to have those moments where we fall we're going to have those moments where we genuinely are hurt and we're not really sure if we can get back up but there's always going to be something inside of you that really does give you that guidance and if we can get the fear out of the way and not let it hold us back from taking action i think we'll surprise ourselves i mean i know that that's true in my own journey where I'm like, oh, I didn't even know I had that, I don't know, strength inside of me or, you know, creativity inside of me. But I've also learned along the way that as much as I'm learning about the things that are going to help me or I'm acquiring new tools that are helping me to become, you know, mentally stronger and keep my head in the game, at, on this journey of learning, I'm also having to unlearn a lot of things from, you know, whether it's childhood and, you know, elementary or even high school or even just my younger self 10 years ago. I'm like, wait, I can't just acquire these new skills. I need to let go of maybe old habits or thought patterns, you know, that are preventing me from really getting to the end goal or maybe just aren't serving me anymore. And so, have you ever had that kind of experience as well? Maybe that reflection moment where you're like, oh, along this journey of everything that I'm learning, I have to unlearn some things as well. And, and what are some of those things you've had to unlearn to be successful in, in your journey? Oh, man, Karen, such a good question. This is so many things uh, to unlearn. <laughs> I'll give you just, uh, I'll, let's start with one yeah. that I think is, is is related to my work as a coach. And I think will be really important for a lot of leaders. And it's to ask more questions and to give less advice. And, you know, we're on a podcast, we're both kind of talking, you know, and, and you're asking me questions and I'm, I'm kind of sharing more. But what, but what I mean here is, this idea that questions cultivate other people. It forces them to think. When you tell them something, half of it, a quarter of it's kind of coming into their brain. They're kind of really working with it. But when you ask a question, right? When ask, when when okay, so you know, someone comes to you and says, Hey, here's a here's this report, here's um, here's what's uh, going on, we have this problem. And you say, well, okay, here's what you should do. Step one, this, step two, this, step three, this. There's a moment for that. That's teaching, right? That's instructing. And if you have a junior employee or if you have a, you know, an urgent crisis, there's no time, fine, let's let's do that. But if there's any time, if there's not some rush, if you've got someone who's, you know, mid-level or, or, or higher, you turn around and just say like, well, so what do you think we should do? Yes, Jason. Hold on. We got it. We're going to put a whole pause here. I love this for so much because that is like a go-to question that I also teach leaders. Just the pause of saying, what do you think? Not only does it help them to feel valued, but you're giving them an opportunity to even think a little more deeply. Oh, I love this so much. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad this is, I'm so glad this is resonating that, you know, we're, we're, we're on the same wavelength here. So, I mean, what do you think is the is the first simple question, right? But then you you go, what do you think the priority should be? You know, what what are our goals here, right? You know, how 
you know, how will we address, you know, how will this plan address our priorities, right? So helping them, right? You're kind of like probing them, helping them make the connections, right? Helping them to think maybe the way you think or the way you want people to think, which is step by step or like priority first. And and then you have an opportunity to understand them better. And then you can intercept and say, oh, I, I, I know that you think project A is the priority. It's actually project C. So it's okay if project A is a little bit slow right now because, you know, so with that in mind, and then you got to go back to them. It's like, how would you change your plan, right? Or how would you change your approach? And in the end, you might still do some instructing, but you're probably going to do only 20% of the instructing that you had to do. You build the confidence of the person you're in. You gain confidence. You're like, hey, my team really does know what's going on. They already <laughs> knew half of what I was going to say anyway. They were just thought I, they needed me to say it. And, and everyone kind of levels up, right? So this is like that coaching habit, Michael. Oh, you know who I'm talking about, Michael Bungay. Mm-hmm. He he wrote this book, The Coaching Habit, and the coaching, you know, a series of questions that mm-hmm. that uh, everybody asks. And so, even as a coach, even as what I do for a living is work with leaders and founders who want to swing big, mm-hmm. I'm still constantly re-remembering to not say, "Hey, this is a priority. Why aren't you? Wor-? You know, you should be working on this." And saying, "Is this still a priority for you?" Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's such a tough one. That's such a good one, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, they, when you tell someone something's a priority, now all of a sudden it's like, well, who are you to tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. Versus, is this still a priority for you? Leaves the door open for them to say, you know what? It actually isn't anymore. Mm-hmm. And right now there's some other things that are going, oh, okay, let's mm-hmm. talk about that. Or it forces them to own the decision to say, yes, it is. And they're saying it, not you telling them, they're stepping forward into it, right? Leaving the space, like dancing, right? When you dance, when you like step back to like give space for the person to step forward. Yes, yes. And the biggest thing in that space of curiosity is you're also helping the individual to have agency over the information that they're sharing, the answer that they decide, you know, is true, or even the uh, problem solving as you all continue to have that kind of dance together. Whereas, as you mentioned, if somebody were to say, oh, do this, and they give the advice, then it kind of takes away that person on the other side, it takes away their desire, maybe even, or it takes away how they feel uh, sometimes valued. It always depends on the situation. But the point is, I think when you bring that curiosity in, you're actually inviting everything that they have to offer into that conversation, which also gives them some agency over their response, which is beautiful. And you're right. It's so important that we kind of shift that kind of leadership style because for a very long time, certainly in the times that I was growing up in, you do as your boss says. Nobody was asking me what I thought. Although I did have some really good managers who were already leading in this, I like to say human-centric way. (laughs) And so through that, you do see people thrive. You see, see them get through these hard times. You see them navigate change more confidently, even if it is uncomfortable, because you're creating this, this safe space for everybody through your leadership style, which, I mean, I feel like back in the day, I feel like I'm dating myself, but back in the day, this really wasn't a thing. And when we say back in the day, we're really thinking like, 
before COVID. I really feel like that experience jolted all of us forward in talking about what it's like, what leadership really should look like in today's world. And one of the conversations that continued to come up, but certainly uh, was birthed during that time was resilience. Like how do we help our people to be more resilient? And so I'm curious, you know, resilience feels like, um, it's like a job I need to take care of. You know, I need to work on my resilience. It's, that's what it feels. But I also know that it's a way that we can help one another to be more resilient. And so you have some, it's called the resilience rules framework, I believe. Can you tell yeah. us how you came up with that? And, and, and what's the gist? What's the overview? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to share that. And, you know, Karen, I think it, it's it's so true that you know we're continuing to evolve and business practices and leadership practices are continuing to evolve, which is such a such a great thing, right? It's such a beautiful thing that we as a as a society, as a culture, like actually slowly, sometimes too slowly, but uh, <laughs> do make uh, steps to understand what's what's working and 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 to build on that. Uh, and and you know, I think my resilience rules framework is is something that builds on so many. Uh, ideas that I've seen and that I've uh, read about myself. So, but at a high level, the idea is that resilience is not like a a quality, right? Like you said, like, oh, something inside me that I need to sort of, that I just have, but it's a a set of skills. Just like, you know, you talked about basketball or volleyball or pickleball. You don't, don't, you're not born being good at them. You don't have like a thing inside you that tells you how good you'll be at one of these sports, right? It's like, how much training are you doing? How many, you know, how much practice are you putting into that, right? Resilience is a skill too. It's one that is an active set of behaviors that we can practice that helps develop that resilience, both as an individual and as, you know, a a team or an organization. So the four skills at high level, and then we can get into them are like respond, which is really about taking that decisive action when something happens. So change, resilience is about, you know, withstanding and adapting to change so that you can continue to achieve your goals and and, and make progress, right? So when that change happens, things get a little bit off track, the project gets uh, redirected or, you know, resources get taken away, Uh uh-oh. And so you got to quickly make some decisions to kind of uh, seal off the damage, as it were, and and kind of like steal yourself and get kind of ready to 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 deal with this. Then restore, which is about hey, doing all that initial stuff probably took something out of you. Maybe you got some cuts and bruises, and you got to lick your wounds a little bit. And you got to do that with other people, right? You got to do that, reaching out, staying connected, and and supporting others. Even even when you're hurt, sometimes supporting others can be the most powerful way to. So true take care of yourself, then it's to rebuild. Then it's to say, okay, you know what? We're, we're kind of like in a safe and stable place. Some of that, you know, things you were talking about, about creating a safe environment, rebuilding. So, so actually like making experiments, right? Setting new goals, because probably the goals you had prior to the change no longer are relevant or, you know, everybody had to change their plans after COVID, right? And as much as that was painful, it was also unavoidable right? There was no way around making those changes. And guess what? We all just got a crash course in that skill of saying what I call dream again, right? Like you had a dream, that dream may have gotten taken away. You know, I had a knee injury and and I had uh, some of my dreams, athletic dreams taken away. You know, you've had dreams of yours and, you know, your family and, and your life taken away, but then 
you can dream new ones, right? And and you have to find new dreams and you have to start taking those steps towards those, those new dreams. And then finally to reflect, to look back, to think about what you learned, to continue to connect to your values and to tell your story. Being on this show, you've had all these guests on who've told stories of their struggles and their, you know, new steps forward. And you've shared your own journey of the difficulties that happened in your life and being able to talk about it builds courage, builds confidence, builds resilience. And it's, again, a skill. The first time you try to talk about it, it comes out all wrong. It comes out all goofy and it doesn't feel right or feels too too intimate, too embarrassing, or too vague, too general. And practicing that story until you actually feel good about it is how you really get over it, Mm -hmm. right? And not to get over it, but to sort of internalize it, incorporate it into who you are and not have it be this like weird break that kind of like is floating out there. But it's like, hey, it's part of me now mm-hmm. and we're we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like to say growing forward. You know, yes. when you're oh, when you're so able, good. yeah, when you're able to take something really hard or challenging or even traumatic and you can grow from it and whether you're sharing it with others or it's just helping you become better, right? Because not everybody may share it. The point is is that you're using it in a way that then helps you to grow forward. And I I love all those were so spot on and very intentional because your first word, even respond, comes with intentionality. Because very quickly, how many of us have reacted to life? <laughs> it happens yes. like a rapid fire, you know, it just, uh, we have an automatic, a default response, but to be more intentional, or we have a default reaction, and to be more intentional about the response does put us on a pathway of developing that resilience, which I think is so beautifully outlined. Gosh, Jason, you got some good stuff, brother. You really, really do. <laughs> I hope you're enjoying this conversation as much as I am. But before we dive deeper, we're going to hear from one of our partners, and then we'll pick right back up where we left off. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win The Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. I mean, this is this is like a whole thing, right? Like you, we all kind of collect these like uh, these aphorisms or these like ways of thinking. I wanted to ask you even early because you we were talking about questions like what are your favorite coaching questions when you are working with someone to try to get, you know, get more out of them? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many. It depends on where they are. But I would just say like early on, I do ask them about their priorities because I found that most of the people I work with now, especially working predominantly with like CEOs, executives or founders, is that they are having a change in their priority. And so what they want to do is they want to do all of the things, but maybe they haven't in the past had the mindset to see that they could have all of these things in balance, or at least, you know, I like to call it imperfect balance. (laughs) We're always aiming for the imperfect balance. So finding out what the priorities are, are really important. Also how they view leadership. 
What does leadership look like to you? And usually when I'm asking somebody to describe anything, I ask Mm. them to give me an example because it's very easy for us to think about a leader who we've had a great experience with. We can think about how they made us feel. And so even by asking somebody, well, what does leadership look like to you? I don't want them to throw off, oh, somebody who's kind, somebody who's, you know, responsible. I don't want to hear any of that. I want you to describe it like you're looking at a movie and you're giving it to me in detail. How does it look in real time? And usually all of my questions, I mean, those are just a couple of examples, are because I want them to be able to embody what they are trying to envision. If you can embody what you're trying to envision, you're actually tying your energy to that and it happens a lot faster, right? As opposed to, like you said, I have this dream. Oh, it's great. Okay, but what does it feel like to be living out that dream? And so there's so many different ways to get people to tap into that. But again, it does go back to so that they have agency over the work that we're doing together. And I think it all comes from the same place as you were talking about before being curious because I do like to hear like, what is your view for your life? What what good work do you want to do? What's important to you? And curiosity, I mean, that just opens the door to so many possibilities. Right. Ultimately, if you're curious, you're, the questions are going to come forward, right? Mm-hmm. There's always going to be new questions. I love what you said about, what was it? Embody what mm-hmm. you envision. Oh, yes. Yes. oh that's good. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's so true. Like, often, right, because I'm working with a lot of people who work in technology, who work with software and computers, and it's almost like it's so up here, it's so in the brain, and it's so in the device, in the 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 mm-hmm. machine, that like we forget about all of this, the rest yeah. of this thing, we all act like we're walking around, brains with eyeballs, mouths, and little hands, yeah. the input into a computer, right? <laughs> that's That's like the whole body, that's all they that that sort of is relevant but we know that the 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 biology and i was a biology major mm-hmm. uh is like the brain and the body are one thing it's not like oh i have a mind and then i have a body no you are body is literally giving you all kinds of things about your brain it's uh, it's like we make jokes but we know when you're hangry right you, yes. you make worse decisions or you're really not fun to be around when you haven't eaten anything that's that's real right and when you you know, aren't sleeping well, you don't have that same energy. And when you aren't moving your body, right, if, you, if you're just sitting in your seat for hours and hours a day, you're just not getting the same, uh, the same impact on your mind. And as much as people, you know, talk about the, the debate about remote work, I see the value in both sides. I work from home most of the time. But, you know, my second office, that's not my home office, is my gym office. There's a whole trend that's happening. There's like a, I was in this Wall Street Journal article about people who work out of their gyms and gyms are now building these like, you know, co-working spaces with tables and Wi-Fi and outlets and everything. And so, you know, part of the time I'm in there because I go and I can do some calls and do some work, get in a class, come back, do some more work, shower, stretch, do the sauna. And I'm like feeding my body and my mind. Now, not everyone has that opportunity to do that. I, understand I know. I'm that. like, is that near me? Because I need to find one of those co-working spaces. That <laughs> sounds me magical. <laughs> yeah. But I, what I mean to say is like, make it a priority, right? If you can turn one of your meetings, that's not like a super formal presentation meeting into a walking meeting, get on the phone, right? And do a walk around the block, get the other person to do that. You know, whenever I do that, people are always like, oh my God. I want to do that too. We'll yeah. both walk. And I'm like, yeah. great. You know, now yeah. you're, now you're leading. Now you're, you're 
feeding your body, they're feeding their body. And that sense of forward momentum, you know, we're walking forward, we're making progress. It's going to reflect in the way you talk and your interaction and everything. Yes. I love that little gem because I think people enjoy, at least when I'm like, hey, we can make this a phone call. They love that. But if it is going to be a longer phone call, I might have to invite them on a walk, Jason. I love that. Yes. <laughs> Let's absolutely. take a walk together. Oh, yes. so good. Well, listen, before I let you go, I have some rapid fire questions to ask you. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. I think that true leadership starts within, right? Because we, and if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we're not thinking about what's going on within, then how can we be more conscious and thoughtful about what's coming out? So when you think about self-care, what fills your cup? Well, you know, this is going to be one of those answers. As an athlete, I got to get my workouts in, whether it's, you know, a Peloton, whether it's kettlebell, whether it's some burpees, a run, you know, I'm flexible, but if I'm not moving, I'm like a big, I say to my wife all the time, I'm like a big dog. I'm like a husky. You can't leave a husky inside without giving them a walk or they're going to get real difficult. <laughs> and so that's me. I got to go out for my walks metaphorically uh, or real. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. I love it. And what is one mistake that you experienced in your career, but it brought a big lesson? Ooh, big mistake. I think that sticking with something for too long is one of those lessons that sometimes sports can actually teach you is to keep going, keep trying, never give up, always, you know, press forward and try to to make a comeback. Because you know what? As amazing as sports are as a, as a place to learn, sorry for the, the tangent here, as much as it's a place to learn, you can't change the rules of sports. Basketball is basketball. The hoop is as tall as it is. You know, there are very minor three-point changed rule changes, whatever. You're not in a position to change that. But in business, in life, you can change the rules. You can play a different game. You can set up a new set of score ways of scoring points for yourself. And that is something that is different between sports and, and life. I love that. I love that. So not holding on to that too long can <laughs> that mentality can actually help you to move forward and maybe even move forward quickly in some of these endeavors. Perfect. Okay. So do you meditate? Occasionally. Yes. That's what's okay. Okay. Yes. Well, I feel like people who are thoughtful that they do carve out that time, even if it's not daily and it's not a rigid kind of meditation practice, uh, that even if they do it sometimes, that stillness does I would say play out in other parts of their life. So what does meditation look like for you? Is it, you know, I'm putting on the Calm app. Is it I'm just like being still? What does that practice look like for you? Yeah, so I, I just finished a three-month sabbatical where I did a silent retreat and that was like a deep dive into more meditation. And the way I practice is pretty simple. You know, I, it tends to be like 15-minute sessions. You know, I'll play some uh background music usually nature sounds is what i found really it's it's varied but it's not even a melody right it's birds it's water it's wind and for me i've realized that it's about clearing away there's nothing to do and you don't have to beat yourself up because you thought about something you're just letting things settle i hear myself saying all these words that i've heard before but there's there's I would encourage people to try a, a retreat because sometimes you need to do a lot of it to get a sense of like what it can really do. And then when I go back, I'm calling back to that time 
of the retreat and the calmness I felt there. Mm, I didn't get to do a retreat, but I did do a 30-day program with Jeff Warren on uh, the Calm app. And you're right, when you really kind of learn and you get immersed in it, it's a different way to engage with it, which I love that that you shared that. Thank you. And then my last question for you, all expenses paid vacation to anywhere in the world. Where are you going and who are you taking with you? Oh, well, the who I'm taking with me is easy. My wife, Amanda, yeah. she's a incredible artist and my life partner. And we we don't get out away enough to be perfectly <laughs> honest with you. So <laughs> that is a challenge. And where we go, honestly, I would probably think about different parts of Southeast Asia. You know, she's Thai and Indonesian, and so she has heritage in both of those countries. You know, I've never been to to Vietnam. I've heard amazing things about, you know, motorbiking to Vietnam and just eating your way through the country. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's 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 beautiful, it's gorgeous. So that could be a really fun, fun thing for me. Yes. Oh, yes. that sounds so fun. And I know that she would absolutely love it. Your global artist wife. She's amazing. <laughs> Shout out to Amanda. <laughs> well, Jason, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. I mean, you shared a ton of wisdom. And I know, I think, if anything, I hope that people will hear that your journey can be a roller coaster. But as long as you are learning and growing and, and growing forward along the journey, then you will find yourself in a position where you do feel fulfilled. You will find what aligns with your talents, your gifts, your interests, and you will be able to serve the world in a very mighty way, even if it's a roller coaster (laughs) to figure out what that exactly looks like. So thank you so much for spending time and sharing so much valuable wisdom. Karen, it's been such a pleasure. I had so much fun. And, you know, I would invite folks who are listening to to learn more. You know, I've got uh, a special site set up just for this episode, jasonshen.com slash in the details. So there'll be a, a link with, you know, some of the things that we talked about in the in the podcast and ways to learn more about me and what I do. Absolutely good. Well, we will make sure that that is linked in the show notes. Thank you again for all you're doing and best of luck for all the work ahead. Same to you, Karen. Thank you. This has been In the Details. If you like the show, tell a friend. For more shows like this, go to success.com slash podcast. 